church. Thank you, brother. Good evening, everybody. Good to see you back tonight. Well, not everything works like you'd like it to go. Uh, got a phone call this evening late before I came to church. My granddaughter's husband, he's about 30 years old, got killed in a car wreck last night. And they lived down at Murfreesboro, where I just came from. Got his wife and three little children, little girl, baby girl, just a cute little doll, about two years old, not quite. A little boy, not quite five. Another little boy, not quite seven years old. And so it's a real tragedy. So you need to pray for me. Don't ask me a lot of questions. I don't know anything about it other than that. Don't know what's going to happen, what they're going to do, uh, what's going to happen. But I know one thing it's going to do. It's going to cause me a lot of driving somewhere. I'm going to have to do a lot of driving somewhere, somehow, along the way. Probably be doing without some meetings that I have booked. So you pray for me for those meetings and like that. So I don't know, because I've got... Uh, several, well, uh, it's just like this coming Wednesday night and next Sunday morning, Sunday night, and the next Wednesday night, and on through all into about the, almost well to Thanksgiving. So uh, I don't know any more than I'm telling you right now what's going to happen. And uh, so yeah, I need your prayers. And uh, pray that God would give me strength and uh, pray for Renee. That's my granddaughter. Pray for her and the three little children, especially. Pray for them. That's such a shock when all of a sudden, like that, something like that takes place. Thirty years old, uh, saved, but that's, that's, you know, sometimes we don't understand things, so quit questioning. We don't question God. We just uh, move on. Got to keep on keeping on and praying and moving on for the Lord Jesus Christ. Good to be with you again tonight. Turn with me, if you will, back to 1 Samuel again. You go to 1 Samuel chapter 4. We was in chapter 1, 2, and 3 this morning. And the thought we had this morning was, remember, his position, he traded his, uh, for, he traded the power of God for position. And folks, we need the power of God in our lives. You don't trade the power of God for position in life. And that's what's happening across the world. You look across America, you travel like we do, and, and that's what you'll find out. People are trading the power of God for position, for preeminence, and say something they're, they're doing and something they are may shine. That just doesn't work. Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. <clears throat> and he, before that verse, he had listed a whole bunch of things that man thinks is necessary in life. And we do have some things necessary, don't we? We have to eat uh, to keep our, our life going. Uh, we 
need to work. God created Adam, put him to work, so he expects us to work. And so there's a lot of things we need to do. We have to have some things along the way, some food, some clothes, some shoes, place over our head, roof over our head. You know, there's a lot of things we think about that we have to have. Some things we could do without, I guess. You reckon? We sit down to eat dinner today. And I don't know about y'all, and of course I've told you that I had gone from 202. To, the doctors told me that I had, uh, that I was on the urge of, right on the edge of sugar, being a diabetic. Well, I didn't believe that because I'd been, I'd been eating a lot of candy for Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's, you know. Went into the doctor's office right after eating all that candy and stuff, you know, and I loved, I loved, uh, Babe Ruth candy bars and Milky Ways and all that good stuff, you know, and boxes of candy, and I still do. I told the doctor, I said, I don't think I've got diabetic. She said, you're right on the border of it. And I said, I don't think so. So she said, you need to lose weight. I said, okay, I'll lose weight. That's no problem. All this diet business is a bunch of fooey, folks. All you have to do, I just, so I went to the diet, so she put me to a dietitian right then, that day. So I, the dietitian going to tell me what I could eat. And I said, wait a minute, let me tell you what I eat first, and then you tell me if I'm right or wrong. Because I said, everywhere I've ever been, every doctor's always told me, whatever you're doing, just keep doing it, it's all right. So uh, at uh, 202, I was a little bit over, didn't need that. And uh, so I told her what I ate. She said, well, yeah, that's good. So that's right, that's good, yeah. I said, okay. I said, what I'll do, I'll just cut out the portions. So I eat about one-third of what I normally used to eat at the meal. I'm down to 181 pounds. Had no problem with losing the weight. It will come off just a little bit like that, a pound here and a pound there since the 1st of January. And so if you, all you got to do is just cut down the portions a little bit uh, in what you're eating. And uh, most everybody can do that pretty easy. And... Uh, uh, so that's what we had one of those $10 dinners, a three, three course or whatever that thing is over at Bob Evans today. And I couldn't eat half of it. Could have. Pastor was sitting on, I couldn't eat half of it is it? because I had eaten so, you know, I had already tuned myself for small meals. And so my system just wouldn't take it. So I couldn't eat half of, half of what they put in that meal there, uh, today. And so I, I, that's the way I eat. So we need to be careful with our life. I believe that God wants us to take care of our physical life. He wants us to understand our body is the temple of the Holy Ghost of God. And he says we're not to defile it or he'll destroy us. So we need to be careful with how we treat our bodies, physical bodies, and spend more time in our prayer life and less in our eating life, I think, would help a whole lot most of us along the way. All right, First Samuel in chapter 4. How many of you remember about what I preached on don't go back to sleep here, going on back to sleep this morning? Remember that? All right, let's don't go to sleep now. Let's don't go back to sleep. Let's stay on the ball. Get on the ball. Keep the burn. Keep, the, keep your spiritual lights burning. Now, the reason I'm back here on chapter 4 tonight because they follow. They follow in there together pretty much in that. Beginning in verse 1, And the word of Samuel came to all Israel. Now Israel went over against the Philistines to battle, and pitched before Ebenezer and the Philistines 
a pitch in Aphek. And the Philistines put themselves in array against Israel. And when they joined battle, battle, Israel was smitten before the Philistines, and they slew all of the army in the field before about 4,000 men. And they left a bunch of people dying out there. And when the people were come unto the camp, the elders of Israel said, Wherefore hath the Lord smitten us today before the Philistines? Let us fetch the ark of the cut of the Lord out of Shiloh unto us, that when it cometh among us, it may save us out of the hand of our enemies. So the people sent to Shiloh that they might bring from thence the ark of the covenant of the Lord of hosts, which dwells between the cherubims and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were there with the ark of the covenant of God. And when the ark of the covenant of the Lord came into the camp, all Israel shouted with a great shout so that the earth rang again. And when the Philistines heard the noise of the shout, they said, What means the noise of that great shout in the camp of the, of the Hebrews? And they understood that the ark of the Lord was come into the camp. And the Philistines were afraid, for they said, God is come into the camp. And they said, Woe unto us, for there hath not been such a thing heretofore. Now I want you to remember verse 7. We're going to come back to verse 7. And notice, I want you to notice something. So don't think I'm just reading to be reading. Mark down some things in the verses as you go. Woe unto us who shall deliver us, woe unto us, for who shall deliver us out of the hand of these mighty gods? These are the gods that smote the Egyptians with all the plagues in the wilderness. Be strong and quit yourselves like men. Now here now, they're changing voices now. Now the captain of their host is saying, hey fellas, look here. He's challenging the Philistine army here. That's who's talking now when we get here in verse 9. Be strong and quit yourselves like men, O ye Philistines, that ye be not servants unto the Hebrews, as they have been to us. Quit yourselves like men and fight. And the Philistines fought, and Israel was smitten, and they fled every man into his tent. And there was a very great slaughter, for there fell of Israel thirty thousand footmen. And the ark of God was taken, and the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were slain. Our Father, we come to you this evening. We ask you, Lord, to give us wisdom and knowledge and understanding in the Word of God. And Lord, there's more verses we need to read and we'll go through. But I ask you, Lord, for the wisdom, the spiritual wisdom of the holiness of God to speak to every heart this evening. Touch us with a special need this evening and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. And amen. I want to preach to you on the same thing that I left you thought with this morning. Substitutes. Eli over here was substituting for God and putting his position first. We come over here in this chapter over here and we're on substitutes here. It follows the same line all the way through. If you keep reading there, you'll find it still follows the same thing. There are substitutes which take place 
of something or another. That's what the word substitute means, of course. Now, for instance, butter, you have all the own for sugar. you got to sweeten it. And for coffee, you get something else, some kind of a bean. And, and uh, you can go on down the line. There are a lot of, uh, for, there's, uh, what, egg beaters or something for eggs. I forget all the stuff. There's all kinds of substitutes you can get. There's something to substitute for that which is real. And so that's, that's a different thing. God wants us to understand that we cannot substitute anything for the power of God and for the holiness of God in our lives. And there's no substitute for salvation. And just any way you take it throughout the Word of God, we cannot use, as there's no substitute to take the place of what God can do, wants to do, and will do if we'll just let Him have control of our hearts and our lives. Well... Substitution in the spiritual realm of life is dangerous, folks. Uh, my ne- nephew's, no, my niece's husband, he, God called him, he said God called him to preach about 12 years ago. And he got busy making money. And I think we touched money pretty much this morning, didn't we? Especially in the Sunday school class, I know we did. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil, for Timothy uh, 6.10. Money will destroy you, folks, if you let that substitute for the holiness of God and what God wants to do for you. Joel got to making too much money. Got to running from God, wouldn't surrender. God took him home. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. You don't play games with God. You don't do that with God. Listen, when God tells you to do something, obedience is what God expects out of us. Remember what what Samuel told Saul, King Saul? He said, he said disobedience is like witchcraft. It's better to obey than to offer sacrifice for disobedience is like witchcraft. So we need to understand, you don't run from God. You cannot, there's no substitute for serving God. So we need to stay on the things of serving God. We need to look at the scene here we've got here. The lethargy of the people of Israel here had become kind of Lazy, we called it this morning, lackadaisical. I don't know if y'all ever heard that word before. That was my mama. Mommy always said, so mama said, son, you're getting lackadaisical. Get busy. Yeah. You know, I was slowing down too much. Showing me to do something. And so we need to realize that the laziness in our Christian people caused a decline in our spiritual attitude and our spiritual nature that God wants to enlarge and work with us. And so it causes a lot of problems with us. And so Israel had done that very thing. And so the Philistines... Uh, if you'll notice, we went to verse 7. I called you to look at verse 7. Remember what it said there? And the Philistines were afraid of who? Who? I didn't hear you. Who? Who? God. All right. Now then, let's look in verse 3. Let us fetch the ark of the covenant of the Lord out of the shallow unto us, that when it, 
when it comes and is among us, it, it may save us. And talk about God, talk about, talk about the ark, the ark of the covenant. You see, that represents God. That isn't what they're saying here. They were looking to the ark. They were not trusting God. They were trusting the ark because they knew God really always honored the ark. And that was a place where God was. And they were to come to that to worship. But they were now, they had substituted the ark for God and put that in and said, let's, 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 let's get, if we get the ark in the camp. And here we find here, the Philistines, when by verse 7, are, are trusting God, but are afraid of God more than they, anything else. More than, than the Israel has trusted, has trusted God. They have turned aside from God. And so right quick for some things out here. There was an oversight that Israel had here. The, the ark was, was good, but we cannot depend on golden gods that have been made, and it was made according to instructions by God. And we can't do that to do what God did. We can't substitute those golden gods for the glory of God. We need the glory of God in our daily walk of life. Now, we have to, like I say, now, let's go back and pick up now what's happened here and going back to sleep. These two chapters especially hold together, folks. Read them and work them together. Go home and study these two chapters, and it'll be a blessing to your heart if you just go back and look at them. The ark was built from God's instructions. God abode between the wings of the cherubim there on the ark, and, and it was sacred. And it was a sacred symbol, but they were looking to the ark and not to God. Let it, oh, the it may save us. Let's get it. Let's go get it. And the people sent to Shiloh that they might get the ark. Get it and bring it into the camp. It. And we don't call God it. God's God. And we need to recognize we're singing the song, God, how great you are. And I thought about that song, how that ties in. Right here. And they had forgotten the greatness of God, the holiness of God. They had forgot everything about God. Here. All the way down to the head. Sometimes our churches, if we're not all careful, I'll get into some of these. <coughs> Excuse me. They get into the business of building a new church. And they get, to, they get so involved in building a new church. Our church down in Florida is getting involved in that right now, and the people are all talking about, oh, our new church, what it's going to be. What is, I'm imagining, it scares me to death because people are going to try to substitute. And so you're going to have to be very careful what you do. It's wonderful to have a building, but this building is not the church. You're the church. You're that are saved. You're the church. You're the body of Christ. And so that's what's holy. You're the temple of God. He tells us that we need to remember that because we belong to Him. Then I noticed something else about this. Uh, there, well, they're aggressive. The uh, Philistines there. The, the aggressive uh, uh, pursuing there did something along the way. 
and got the Philistines, got the Israel on the move. But you want to notice what Israel did here now in this, in verses 3 and 4. We go back to Revelation chapter 2, and what do we get in Revelation chapter 9? I'm kind of get you to help you with the lesson tonight, to help you a little bit. In Revelation chapter 2, what is the first church that they were told? He said, unto what church? The church of what? Ephesus, remember? All right. That church is Ephesus. What had they done? They had left, not lost, left their first love. <coughs> we don't lose our love for God. We go to sleep is what happened over here in verse, this chapter yesterday, this morning, remember? All right. So they leave, and that's what they had done. That's what he said in the church in Ephesus. They left their first love. That's what Israel has done here. They have left their first love for God, and they have substituted the ark and put that in place of God in their, in their battle. It didn't work. You cannot put the substitutes in in place of the real thing. Don't try to don't try to put in. Well, Lord, you understand. I'm going to do this. It's all right. No, no, no. That doesn't work. So many times people try to get God to agree with what they're doing, and they say, "Well, I prayed about it, and God said all right." Well, now I'm not too sure about that. Most of the time, uh, most of the time, if you're praying, God will tell you what to do before you ever ask or think about what you're supposed to do. God will show you what to do. <clears throat> I've been very fortunate, and I'll brag on God for it. I, any move I had to make, I knew where it was going and why I was doing it and what it was for before I ever moved. When I left the church in Alabama, I knew what it was for, and I told the told her, I said, God, God wants me to do this. God has shown me where he wants me. And I resigned from that church and went right on to the other church. I pastored the next church four years, got up on some morning, I said, I've got to resign for I know where I'm going. God's already told me in prayer where he wants me to go. You see, we don't have to try to get God to agree with us. What we're supposed to do is agree with God. And if you do that, then the substitutes won't have to be in your life. Then if you look on down through the grace of there, they were armed for war. And they stopped and think that, how, how did they get armed for war? Well, you say God supplied the arm. Yes, he did, but you go back and watch the covenant. Remember, remember what's happened now in Exodus. Go back. You've you got to put the Bible together. Read the whole Bible. You got to go back there. When they left and crossed the Red Sea, how much armament did they have? Huh? None. They had none. Had nothing to fight any battle with. They had to depend completely on God to move the water aside there and let them walk by across on dry ground. Not in muddy muck, but on dry ground. That's what the Bible says. All right, but when they got across Israel's army then, or Egyptian army, excuse me, the Egyptian army then tried to cross, and they drowned in the water. Well, common sense will let you know what drifts up and drifts up. The, the weapons of, of Egyptian army got up to shore, and so they got picked up. The Egyptians, a lot of what the Egyptians had, it was waste from the water of what they lost as, they, as the Egyptian army drowned. As you read through the scripture, you see what happened. So God supplied their need. They didn't have to get picked up. And then God showed them how to do everything when they got over in the wilderness. They didn't, they were not the, uh, 
Artisophers, I'd be the best word to use, I guess, in uh, making gold and, and, uh, and fixing brass, melting down and, and doing things with gold and brass and so forth, over in Egypt. So when they got out there in, 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 the, in the wilderness, God showed them how and, and with what they had and they had what to do and how to do it. When, when they listened to God. I stop and think about Christians today in Acts chapter 4 and verse 31. It says, and when, when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and spoke the Word of God with boldness. When they prayed. I'm afraid we miss that when sometimes in our daily life. That we don't spend that time in prayer. I tell you, I love to talk to God. I, I just a time with me, and I, I get inside excited about it. And sometimes my son will call me and he'll ask me what what I've been doing, and I tell him, "Boy, I've had a time talking to my heavenly Father this evening, or all morning, or whatever time it was." I love to just talk to God. I love to talk to God and pray because God will lead you. God will show you what He wants you to do if you'll just be honest with Him. Now, Israel was not honest with God here. They wanted to look and put in a substitute in. There's no substitute for prayer, folks. No substitute for serving God. No substitute for your salvation. Notice the next thing there. They had a number of people there, yet at the same time, look at the thousands of them that died. You didn't do them any good to have all that extra people up there. And so all of that was no substitute for the power of God in their life. Then they tried to show that they were, we've got to be careful we don't try to substitute uh, attendance for church for spiritual activity. See, that's what they've tried to do here. They've tried to substitute some power like that for the things of the Lord. When we come to church, Let's worship, folks. Let's worship. Why do you come? I love to sing the songs of faith. I love the hymns. When you leave the hymns, leave the old-fashioned hymns with the songs of faith that they are, they're beautiful. They have the Word of God in them, every one of them. And they'll stir your soul. Don't tell me they don't do that. I know I've been at it for a long, long time. I did my... Get different in church. I, I'm a different fella, yes. Sometimes folks think I'm a nut, and that's all right. But I'm turned on the right bolt. But anyway, when I pastored, I didn't have a junior church. I didn't have a little children's church. I didn't have a nursery. You what? Yeah. Well, I had it fixed up so that the mothers, if they had a baby, they could get that baby full on the top side and dry and clean on the bottom side and come in. And what does that baby like to do? What does it cry for? Use it for mama to hold it. And you put that baby in mama's arms and let that mama hold that baby and that baby will hear mama sing. That baby, I, my children knew, knew this and so they abided by, by some of the things that I had. And so they raised their children in their mother, in their arms. They raised their children in their arms 
sitting in the pews, and then when the children got a little bigger, they set the children down beside them between mom and daddy. And when they got up time that mama wanted to go to the choir and sing, the little girl was big enough, she came up and went, stood in the choir by mama. That way she learned to sing. And the songs are sung like that. And the little boy, uh, God come in, and he would jack come over, and he'd stand by and sing by his daddy. See, folks, if we raise him in church... I'm not, I hear these preachers say, well, I had a drug business. My mama drugged me to church. Well, that's, that's a disgrace to make that statement. That's a disgrace for a preacher to make that kind of statement. My parents didn't drag me to church. They made church enjoyable to me, and I did the same thing with my children, and my children did the same thing with their children, and they're all involved in church. They're all busy in God's business. They all know the song because you learn those songs from the time they're on up. And so I had I, all of our young folks. I had the family sit together. The children sat with mom and daddy. And that's the way they did. And that's the way I found out preach revival meetings. I do the same thing wherever I go. Still the same thing. A family. God honors a family, folks. God first established a family. Then he established a congregation there. And we've got government then coming on down the line. But you've got to remember, God honors a family. He established a family first of all. And so that's the first thing in God's sight that he wants to be. Uh, and that, don't substitute. Don't try to substitute things for your children. Keep everything real and honest with them so that it'll work better. Well, I've said enough to disturb some folks. <laughs> some... Some folks don't like the preachers. I've got some preachers who don't like what I say about things like that. But that's all right. Uh, some, some parents, I've had parents. Yeah, I had, you know, for my first church, uh, what about the women when they nursed their babies? I had them sit on the back row until they got done nursing the baby, and then they could come up and sit with their husband. Nothing wrong with that. The babies, the babies are still hearing the songs being sung, and they'll hear the preaching being preached. You see, I believe some things got plumb out of order. We're so busy in our churches today trying to have all this activity and all that activity. We've got this going and that going and that going and you got something. And you don't know what's going on at church because they're going so many different directions today. I went into one of them one day and looked at all they had. Had nine different things going on in the church Sunday morning. My soul, no wonder they're confused. Why, that would confuse anybody. You can't substitute just being honest and being faithful with God and sitting down and outstanding and singing the songs of faith and hearing the preaching of the words of God. There's no substitute for that anywhere, and so we need to be faithful to it. Well, no substitute for tithing, no substitute for the mechanical folks of we. You hear a lot of folks have, have the mechanical attitude of Christianity, that don't really do the same thing. A lot of folks like to attract attention sometimes. Notice what happened. said, all Israel shouted with a great shout. And the Philistines said, heard the noise and said, hey, what's that shout over? They wonder what that shout was about. Well, I've been in places where I've heard fellows shout in the church, but never saw anything out of them outside of the church. Uh, if it's shout, if it's real, praise the Lord. But when you shout, you better make sure your running is the same way as your shouting is. Uh, 
I don't, I don't object to people shouting in the church. And sometimes you raise your hands and holiness to the Lord. That's fine. Just make sure your walk is matching your talk. And that's what makes the difference in the whole thing. Well, notice something that then finally there they were overthrown. 34,000 were slain in idolatry there. There has to be a balance, folks, in our talking about God. That's what we're doing for God. Now, I realize not everybody's a preacher. I realize not everybody's a missionary. I'm fully aware of that. But I'm also aware of the fact that every Christian, the balance of your life should be balanced in Christianity, in your talk and in your action, your daily walk of life. Then I noticed one thing about it here. They were overcome because they did not trust God. And the ark of God was taken away. And Hophni and Phinehas, they both died. The ark was gone. And what happened? What happened when the child was born? Ichabod. The glory of the Lord is departed. When we put substitutes in our life, the glory of God is departed. And we're down to what man has, has, is trying to do on his own. Just keep reading these chapters you read, and you'll find the whole story down to there, and see how they were defeated because they did not trust God and what they had to do for God to come back and bless them. Recognize their need. Recognize their sin and what they'd done against God. Fall on their face before God and ask God to forgive them and cleanse them, and then God restored them took them 20 years to do it. Can you imagine running from God for 20 years? And that's what they did. Took them 20 years for that. Oh, my folks, let's don't substitute anything for the glory of God. You don't dare substitute anything for salvation. It's all by grace, through faith, through the precious blood of the Lamb, the Lord Jesus Christ. Works, of all the works won't get a person saved. We should work after we get saved. That's because of our salvation. Philippians is very plain on that. It says, work out the salvation which is in you, which God works out that salvation is in you. That's because of your salvation. And in thanksgiving and in preference to the Lord. Let's not substitute anything for the glory of God. Let's ask God to give us a holiness and the, the rightness in serving Him. No substitute. Not church attendance won't substitute. That, that's not Christianity. Being baptized is no substitute for Christianity. Given to the Lord is no substitute for Christianity. Christianity is living what God has given you in life. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6 says, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk ye in Him. Isn't that verse very plain? That's one of the most plain verses I've ever seen. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. Let me, diag- let me diagnose that verse for you. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. What is that? That's the cross. 
That's the price he paid for your salvation in my mind. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus. Always remembering what God has done for us. That's the life. What was the life of Jesus? Resurrection. That the life of Jesus, resurrection, new life, also might be made manifest in our bodies. That verse, if you just look at that verse, it analyzes itself and you'd see what he's talking about. And so Peter says, sometimes he says, you need to understand, sometimes we're not bearing fruit because we've forgotten where God found us. Where did God find you? Huh? I don't know about you. I don't want to go back to that. Let's bear fruit. Let's don't substitute anything for the glory of God. Let's bow our heads. Stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Our Heavenly Father, tonight, I thank you, Lord, how plain the Word of God is, Lord, for us to serve you, to love you. Thank you for salvation you've given us. And give us desire to serve you and to walk with you and to walk for you. And let you lead us and guide us and direct us. Lord, keep us from substituting things. For the glory of God. Keep us from substituting some kind of activity for that which you want to do through us. I pray, Father, that each soul tonight would realize how important it is to let God have absolute, total control. Lord, you don't lead us down a blind alley. You give us something to do and show us what to do and how to do it. And you bless us when we do it. And so, Lord... Let's not substitute anything for the glory of God, for the work of the Lord, for that which is needed in wisdom and knowledge and understanding, in reaching precious souls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grant that every heart might be touched in a special way to watch out what they'll be doing the next day or two on down the road. Are they trying not, not substitute anything? to take the place of what where you want to be in, what you want to do, and for your glory in their life. And we'll thank you for it, Lord. In your name, in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, in the presence and power of the Spirit of God, we ask it all. For it's in Jesus' name we thank you. Amen and amen. Do we have a song here this evening?